Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream. And uh, once again, we are very honored in spite of these crazy times, extraordinary crazy times, we have Vanessa Billy with us. And because it's so extraordinary, and even if we're from a distance away from uh, on the Middle East crisis or continuing wars, we're definitely we're also affected. So, and the best thing to, um, for us to listen and to get information is from a journalist like Vanessa Billy, because Vanessa has been puts on the ground in that area for so many years. And she has been a uh, finalist, she was a finalist for the prestigious Martha Gallum Prize. And she continues to be part of the UK column news and many other things. And so, you know, listen carefully and it's better for us to get perspectives from many angles and don't make decisions, but listen and see for yourself and use your wisdom because each of us has that inner wisdom to know what's true and what's not true and then what we can do. So Vanessa, thank you so much again for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. And for um, our viewers, although we, we were talking about, we worry about limiting our viewers' censorship or book burning as sometimes we call it so we we um, among the three of us we plus of course vanessa also has all that in media presence we put it in many different platforms from bitchute rumble even the non-known unknown um platform like clickview and then brightium and so you you just type in you um our names and also the topics, you could find good information. So don't fret if at one point you don't see us in one platform, we'll be in another platform because that's human, human intention and motivation is to find a way to be free. Okay, so then Vanessa, would maybe we could start with what can, you know, the whole world has listened to what happened recently in Israel and for many decades already too, I believe people have listened to what's been going on with the Palestinians, but it doesn't still sink of what, you know, what's truly happening and why is this happening? So in my mind, perhaps it would be good for to have just the highlights because it will take a lifetime i believe <laughs> or if not to to sit to tell the history of why this crisis never stops especially what's been happening between palestinians and uh, palestine and also israel and maybe we should also emphasize that it's that people are being sacrificed from both sides so please start with that thank you um well i mean or i guess we would go back to 1948 which in the west and in israel is described as the war between israel and palestine the reality of course it was the nakba which was the ethnic cleansing of palestinians some 750,000 palestinians that was engineered by the british in collaboration with the uh, haganah 
military or militia, let's say. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's a massive history for me to try to condense. But if we go forward now, of course, what has happened over the last 75 years is that the territory uh, that remained uh, as Palestine uh, has gradually been shrinking. Uh, the Zionist, various Zionist governments have been expanding, destroying uh, Palestinian homes in order to accommodate larger numbers of settlers, the majority of which are from Europe rather than the original Mizrahim Jews, which came from uh, the Middle East and North Africa that are also discriminated against by the Ashkenazi uh, Jews and by the Zionists or inside Israel. Um, there have been multiple uh, Israeli aggressions against Gaza, in particular Gaza, which again is an enclave that was created out of refugees that were driven out of, I think it's around 247 villages into the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is effectively an open air concentration camp, um, 40 kilometers by 12 kilometers, so it's tiny, housing uh, two, between 2.2, 2.4 million people. The figures do vary. Surrounded on all sides by an apartheid wall or fence or uh, the sea where the actual limit that Gazan fishermen can go out to is constantly changed by the Zionist uh, regime. I myself and my colleague Eva Bartlett have spent uh, time in Gaza. Eva was there in 2008-9 for the cross-led operation. Um, and she also visited the occupied territories in 2007, I think. Um, I entered Gaza for the first time through the tunnels in 2012, and three days after I entered, the 2012 Israeli aggression started that they euphemistically call mowing the lawn, which is effectively the continuation of the Nakba, the ethnic cleansing that began uh, back in 1948. For people to understand, 2.4 million people have nowhere to go. There are no shelters, there are no underground bunkers, there is no escape. They are literally in an open air prison being bombed uh, with some of the most powerful technology uh, and bombs that exist in the world today, of course, supplied by the US, the UK and the EU to their military outpost in the Middle East, which is Israel. Uh, and in, for, for people to also understand that inside Gaza, um, apart from the fact that you are imprisoned, you have no exit route. Uh, you can't leave by the sea, you can't leave by the Rafah border to Egypt. And in 2012, when I was there and multiple injured people that could no longer get treatment in the Gaza hospitals were trying to leave via Rafah, the Egyptian border, but what people should know is even the Egyptian border is effectively controlled by the Zionist forces. So, for example, you arrive at the Rafah border, which is in Egypt, you then have um, a kind of buffer zone which encircles Gaza, and you have to cross the buffer zone to enter uh, the, the Gaza kind of, um, what do you call it, reception area. And you have to take a bus 
because if you try to walk this area, you'll be shot by the Zionist snipers that are um, in the various um, gun turrets along uh, that strip of land. Um, equally, inside Gaza Strip, uh, on the areas where there is an actual wall rather than fencing, um, you have automatic gun turrets. I myself experienced this when we went to protest at Beit Hanun in the northeast. Now, those automatic gun turrets are set to fire on Palestinians. It can be children, it can be farmers, if they cross a certain distance. But that distance is constantly changed. So some days it can be two meters, some days it can be three meters, some days it can be six meters. Palestinians are never informed. So quite often, children, for example, will assume it's still two meters, and they will cross, and they will get shot. Just for people to have an idea of what life is like uh, inside Gaza, in 2018, Gazans decided to um, uh, peacefully protest um, the Great March of Return. Um, they were killed in their hundreds by Zionist snipers, including um, medics, nursing, etc. So peaceful protest is not an option. It doesn't make any difference. They will still get shot. They will still get targeted. Um, and then after 2012, um, there was the aggression of 2014, which effectively uh, sent Gaza back to the dark age in the sense that it, it destroyed uh, essential infrastructure. And by that, I'm talking sewage treatment, desalination, uh, um, power plants, uh, electricity. So, as I said, sewage treatment. When it rains heavily in Gaza, the roads are absolutely flooded with sewage, with human excrement. And that itself uh, pollutes the sea off the coast of Gaza. And as I said, the, the Zionist regime limits the area to which the fishermen are allowed <clears throat> um, to enter Gazan waters. The fishermen on a daily basis, I used to wake up almost every day to machine gun fire, um, to artillery fire from uh, the, the ships at the fishermen. Often they were kidnapped or arrested summarily. Um, I was sitting in an office during ceasefire. There was a massive explosion out the window and an Israeli drone had just assassinated a young hospital porter on his way to work. Uh, almost on a daily basis, even in peacetime, Israeli Air Force fly uh, faster than the speed of sound to create sonic booms, which sound like bombs exploding. So this keeps the children in Gaza in a constant state of PTSD. There's a huge rise in ADHD, in autism, in all of these um, um, brain-affecting uh, conditions because these children live in a constant state of fear and apprehension and uh, the belief that they're about to be attacked. And of course, they often are. Even when I arrived in 2012, there was a 13-year-old boy, Hamid Abodaga, who was shot outside his house, inside in Khan Yunus, 
while he was playing football. He was mown down uh, by a helicopter after tanks, Israeli tanks, had uh, led an incursion into the Gazan farmland. And we were there when he was shot. <clears throat> Again, just before uh, the 2012 aggression, uh, Israel murdered um, people who were attending a funeral close to the border in the north. So as I'm saying, you know, these executions are summary, are sum, uh, summarily uh, carried out. And of course, Israel is never held up for prosecution for these assassinations. Um, and Israel will always claim, of course, that it's targeting Hamas. We'll come on to that later. Um, then, of course, you had the aggression of 2014 and then uh, 2021, and now the most recent, 2023. Now, one thing I do want to point out is that for the two weeks leading up to uh, Operation Al-Aqsa flood, the media in the West was talking about the provocation that was being carried out against the Palestinians by Netanyahu's extremist far-right government. And yet suddenly when the attack happened, it's unprovoked. And then, of course, in the first 24 hours, what do we get? We get the Zionist media, the Western media running with stories that they almost immediately retracted. Like, for example, the beheading of the 40 babies, uh, the rape of women. And now it appears even the story of Hamas firing um, indiscriminately on uh, the party goers is incorrect. And even hostages that are now being released are talking about the fact that it was the IDF that was firing into the crowds at the resistance fighters. And then even shells by tank and by helicopter, the places where the hostages were being uh, kept before they were transported back to Gaza. So, you know, um, I understand people's emotional reaction, but I think by now we should have learned in history that the media will protect those that feed them, the hand that feeds them. And we've seen it in Iraq. We've seen the story of the incubator babies. We've seen the weapons of mass destruction, the Benghazi rape in Libya, uh, the women's rights in Afghanistan, the chemical weapons narratives in Syria. It's endless. And unfortunately, uh, people had the same knee-jerk reaction, the same rush to judgment over the alleged uh, resistance faction crimes. As opposed to, I, I don't see the same outrage over what Israel is now carrying out against civilians in Gaza. I just don't see it. So I have to question why, and I have come to certain conclusions which are extremely concerning, but it, I do find it quite extraordinary. So in these historical atrocities that's been happening, do you see any what's the most possible solution or, or are you seeing signs of solutions in the making? And I'm, I'm not only uh, thinking about this, the solutions within the region, but because I know that everything is connected, but I, I for myself can see signs of solutions. But since you were right there, 
what is your thought on how these things can be resolved if there is any you know possibility because i know some friends of mine will say it can never be resolved especially when there are external factors yeah i mean that's very difficult isn't it israel in the last week has bombed uh, syrian civilian airports damascus and aleppo twice they had only just reopened and they were bombed again under the pretext and this isn't the first time this year i mean we've talked about this before there's more than 30 Israeli aggressions against uh, Syrian um, civilian infrastructure, residential areas, airports, even days after the earthquake tragedy on February the 6th, Israel bombed Aleppo airport, one of the um, uh, main lifelines for humanitarian aid to the victims of the earthquake tragedy. Um, and so, yes, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a regional, it's not only Palestine versus Israel. And of course, what, how is the West portraying this as Hamas against Israel, right? So, so they're portraying it in a sense, they're framing it in a sense that people can be persuaded, oh, but this is Israel against a terror group. Well, who prescribes Hamas a terror group? And Hamas is not the only resistance faction inside um, Gaza, there are around 17 resistance, armed resistance factions inside Gaza. Qassam Brigade uh, is the Hamas affiliated uh, military wing. And I would be the first person, by the way, to criticize Hamas for their role in the destabilization of Syria. But uh, over the last 18 months, there has been a huge effort to normalize relations with Hamas. The leadership has changed. Khaled Mashal has been uh, sidelined, largely. Qassam, uh, military wing that always disagreed with the political wing policy in Syria anyway, has always been committed to resistance against the Israeli occupation and the crimes that are committed on a daily basis, both in the occupied territories and in Gaza. Um, and, and to portray this war as Hamas against Israel is completely reductionist. The entire region had enough of Israel. <laughs> you know, the incursions into Syrian territory on a regular basis, the annexation, illegal annexation um, of the Dolan heights or the Jolan territories, because it's not only the heights, from which Israel steals 30% of its water needs inside Israel itself. The regular aggressions against Syria during the last 12 years, the funding and arming of Al-Qaeda terrorists. I mean, it's ironic that Israel is now accusing Hamas of being like ISIS or being like Al-Qaeda when it has effectively supported, provided hospital treatment for and armed those same terrorist groups inside Syria and is now fomenting an incursion again in the south, in the Druze community, in, the, in southern uh, Syria, where Israel is backing a federalist movement to further partition Syria. Israel supports the Kurdish proxy militia in the northeast that are occupying at the behest of the US Syrian oil resources and agricultural resources. So yeah, you're right, it's a regional war, but it's constantly disproportionate force because Israel is shored up 
by the US, the UK, France, other EU member states who supply weapons, supply billions in funding to what is effectively its military outpost in the Middle East. So it knows, and it has nuclear, apparently. Um, so is there a solution? The only solution is justice for Palestinians, reparation for Palestinians, restoration for Palestinians of land, territory, rights, and uh, their homes, and an end to an apartheid state. I don't believe a two-state solution is viable anymore because Israel has complete control of all uh, the infrastructure inside the occupied territories. It must be a one state, but with complete equal rights for Palestinians and Israelis. And personally, I don't think it's gonna happen until Israel is literally forced to the negotiation table. And that unfortunately, as with every uprising against an oppressive force, is only gonna come through force. You're, um, oh, you're talking about the Zionists. Sorry, Derek Ress. Yeah. No, because you'd rather no. jump in. Um, when you're talking about the Zionists, just for those listening, right, because a lot of people are saying Israel, the Jews, and the Zionists, can you kind of let them know what we mean by the Zionists? Well, I mean, um, for me, the Zionists have absolutely nothing to do with Judaism, nothing to do with religion. If you go back to uh, Ukraine, for example, in the 19... 20s, when you had um, a Nazi, Simon Petlura, as president of the Republic of Ukraine, and you had Nev uh, Yabotinsky, who was one of the early um, Zionist, uh, revisionist Zionists, who effectively collaborated with Petlura against the threat that Russia represented to both of them. So under Petlura, a Nazi president, a Zionist um, was able to build his own militia and so on. So for me, <clears throat> Zionism is, is a racist, sectarian, apartheid ideology. It's, it's a supremacist ideology, very similar to ISIS, to Al-Qaeda, to the Nazis in Ukraine, um, in the sense that they perceive that they have superiority over all others. And as I mentioned, even the Middle Eastern Jews or the North African Jews are perceived as lesser beings. And the settlers that have been brought in from Europe, they're armed. They behave in very much the same way that ISIS has behaved here in Syria in the sense that they carry out executions, beatings, burnings, torture, particularly of children. I don't know if you, I, his name escapes me right now, but the little boy that had petrol poured in his mouth and he was satellite. The land theft uh, continues. The persecution of Palestinians continues. The imprisonment and detention of Palestinians, the torture in, in, in prisons and in detention continues. I mean, I met with um, women that were released from Gaza that were in Israeli jails and were released, that 
spoke to me of some of the worst forms of abuse, including rape, including ritual humiliation inside the Israeli jails. And all of this is documented by various NGOs. Um, Zionism is an ideology. And as I said, it's a racist ideology. What we're seeing now is the continued extermination of Palestinians, both in the occupied territories and in Gaza. I think we're at over 5,000 dead now in Gaza alone. If we look I don't know them. how many tens of thousands are injured. Hospitals without electricity, without water, without fuel. People are being operated on without anesthesia, without anesthetic. And what happens, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a British surgeon working in the hospitals uh, in Gaza, uh, and his family is being harassed by the anti-terrorist police in the UK. He's providing a humanitarian service, and his family have already been harassed by the terrorist squads in the UK, as I'm quite well aware of, because I've been equally detained by them for six hours at Heathrow. When you look at the media, how they're portraying this and who actually is leading all the different companies. I mean, I've seen graphs recently of all the top countries around the world. Like we can see who's pulling the strings and why this is all happening. And the, the sad part is I've even friends that are basically just kind of putting up a picture or whatever. And anybody from Israel are just abusing them and attacking them. And they're just deleting themselves from social media. It's like what you've just said, we all kind of know. But it's like you can't even put it out there now or you'll be removed as if you're the bad guy. When we know they're being persecuted, they're being destroyed. The fact that they've allowed them to turn off the water, the electricity, when there's children there. And like, I mean, we know NATO is is nothing to be trusted. Like, but if in reality, if there was a system that was to protect anybody, that is the time that they should come in and go, "Hey, this is not allowed." They've even bombed UNRWA, uh, UNWRA buildings and schools. Where you know, and and I think for me, everyone's kind of arguing over who bombed the Baptist hospital. But this is another thing that Israel does regularly. It will uh, kind of raise questions over one crime. And so everybody is arguing over this crime. Meanwhile, what do they do? They force, forcibly evacuate people from the north to the south, and then they bomb the convoy. For me, that's an even bigger war crime. You force people from the north to the south, and of course they want people to go to the south. Why? because there's far fewer hospitals in the South, there's far fewer amenities in the South, and they're close to the exit to, to the Sinai, where the Israelis basically want to push the Palestinians out of their homes, out of their land, and into the Sinai to live in a refugee camp. And Egypt isn't refusing that out of any goodness of its heart, it's refusing it because it doesn't want two million Palestinians on its territory and an excuse for Israel to encroach further into, into the Sinai territory. <laughs> Israel has bombed the Rafah crossing, which is the only entry for humanitarian aid. 
it's effectively refused to allow water and fuel and food to enter. But this is normal. There was one point where Israel was only allowing 2,000 calories per person every day to enter Gaza. It controls everything. I don't think people understand this. People were trying to compare this with me to lockdown under COVID, for example. <laughs> like it's, it's like nothing on earth. I have lived in Syria. I have been to the front lines in Syria. I've lived under the mortars here in Damascus from the terrorist groups in eastern Damascus. You will never have experienced anything like Gaza when the Zionists are bombing. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. And they are bombing from planes, from the sea. Again, a lot of people don't realize this. They have um, warships off the coast of Gaza and they're firing shells for eight hours against all the refugee camps, the most densely populated refugee camps that are on the coastal area of Gaza. You have drones. Every single video you watch right now of Gaza, you will hear this heavy buzzing sound. That's drones. Any one of those drones at any point can, uh, can kill you. And it's like, um, it's like a swarm of hornets. And somebody said to me, even here, they said, but yeah, but don't you get used to it? You never get used to it. Why? Because they go up and down. So the sound increases, decreases. When they come down, you lose internet. They bring, like in certain areas where they're bombing, the number of drones increases. So the, so the sound increases and they move around. It's a deliberate policy. It's a deliberate psychological warfare policy by the Zionists. Um, so you've got drones, you've got helicopters, you've got tanks, you've got snipers, boats, planes. You've got missiles coming in from almost every single possible outlet they use bunker bombs they use bombs that if you're within two kilometers of those bombs it you actually feel physically sick because it creates like um an imbalance in the body the the waves from the bomb actually disturb your body to the point where you feel car sick you think you're going to throw up and that's if it's two kilometers away and what they're using now against Gaza, even people in Gaza are saying to me, we have never, ever received bombs like this. They, they're enormous. And the damage is, is unbelievable. It's off the scale. And as I said, while people are arguing over one war crime, they're committing 10 others. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Vanessa, mm. the, whole, the whole thing is disgusting to listen to um, what's going on there. And so I try to bring things to uh, uh, what's the end goal here? What I was thinking of, if Israel got rid of all the Palestinians, mm. would Israel then be happy? Would it be living in peace? It almost seems to me that uh, this mowing the lawn uh, tells a lot because if the lawn is a problem, and you get rid of the lawn and you put cement in or you put a driveway in, but to mow the lawn is, is that you keep it alive enough till you come along and cut it down again. Let it grow back, cut it down again. And this is like 
a horrible psychological torture on a people and mm. telling them to get out to 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 leave their houses uh and then they have nowhere to go i mean mm. that's just well not only that then bomb them <laughs> say again you know then bomb them Yes. So you've told them to leave their houses. They pile all their belongings and their kids and, and everything into trucks and buses and so on. And then they bomb the trucks and buses. And then when they call in the paramedics to come and help the buses of people they've just bombed, they bomb the paramedics. This is this is this <laughs> this is this is hate. This is this is. I mean, you can go deep and you can see it on. On, on both sides and all that, but what, I, what I'm seeing coming in is is that when there's women and children uh, and they can't escape, they want to avoid the conflict. They want it to start again, and they're not allowed to, but they systematically have their water and their fuel turned off. That's I I I just can't get my 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 head around that. Um, it's it's there's no what is the end goal in doing this? It's 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 this this anger. The other thing I was thinking of is, and I can't really place it because when you talk about the Jews that were uh, after the Second World War, uh, I mean, well, they were tortured in the concentration camps. But what we have in Israel is not really the Jews. You can't. It's a Zionist philosophy, mm -hmm. some of which are Jews. And not all Jews are Zionists, and and the Orthodox no, Jews don't even say this has nothing to do with their religion, and and mm. people forget this, and and it's to it's to hide behind this anti-Semitic uh, thing, and and the whole thing the whole thing sickens me. I don't I don't know what the other thing is is that we're not allowed. Uh, I think Israel passed a law that you can't talk about the Nakba. But at the same <laughs> it time... It causes every law to stop people discussing yeah. its, its crimes. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And but our governments Holocaust, in the West condone this. But the Holocaust, we can't... That's No, you're not allowed to. On the other no, side. No, and so no you you're get, not allowed to um, you know, yeah, talk about so, that. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I have lots of Jewish friends. I know people from Israel, uh, you know, and, and I, I don't I don't I don't see this animosity in them. It's 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 it's. And when you think that Israel, you know, the, the Jews and the, and the Muslims and the Christians lived in that area for hundreds of years, if not millennia. Absolutely. Uh, and so what changed? The, like, the influx. What well, actually, I mean, this is an interesting point because. Um, my father, who was probably one of, I mean, not from, it's, it's not a reflection on me, but he was probably one of the most iconic Arabists of his time. He was Middle East advisor to Ernest Bevan post-1947. <clears throat> and he and Bevan, so this was a very small window when actually British Empire was doing something sensible. And my father wrote an entire report saying, we have to stop the settlement of European Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews, to Palestine because it will engender decades of bloodshed in the region. And he and a number of uh, colleagues of his, um, Anthony Nutting, Patrick Mayhew, uh, Bevan himself, who was hated by the Zionists, 
received death threats from the Ergen and the Stern uh, terrorist groups, the Israeli terrorist groups, to the point where the British government caved and basically went along with, with the kind of the Truman doctrine of bringing European settler Jews into Palestine. And what happened? Decades of bloodshed, exactly as my father predicted would happen. And you're absolutely right. Prior to that, I, I was given a thesis a long time ago, I think, by um, someone uh, probably of the um, Mizrahim uh, Jews, which, as I said, were from North Africa and from the Middle East and are very much discriminated against by the Ashkenazi Jews because they're considered kind of, you know, not, not pure. <laughs> um, and he wrote a thesis about, I think it must have been his grandparents' generation, when those Jews were living perfectly peacefully with the Palestinians in the region where, um, you know, midwives were, were taking care of each other's babies and so on. And then the British influence came in. And of course, then the, the, the ethnic cleansing started really before 1948. But 1948 was, was the turning point when, as I said, 750,000 or even more Palestinians were ethnically cleansed and have no right to return to their land or to their homes that were taken from them. And again, the same disproportionate force because the Haganah were armed and trained by the British effectively. And they were carrying heavy weapons, they had tanks, they had artillery. Again, they poisoned uh, water uh, sources in the region and so on. So they were doing exactly the same thing as they do now. They assassinated community leaders. They, they had an entire um, strategy to effectively force, forcibly displace people from their communities. And they were trained by the British, armed by the British. Palestinians were farmers. I mean, the most they had was hunting rifles. They had no chance. But suddenly, and this is what's really interesting for me, is the oppression of Israel against the Palestinian communities in the occupied territories and in Gaza has always been massively disproportionate. And I think it's Louis Alday who wrote a great, one of the best articles um, on the inalienable right of Palestinians to resist. And as he said, you know, we in the West, we can't only support a cause when they're photogenic victims. We have to also support them when they rise up and resist, when they are given the ability, the capability to actually do harm to their oppressor. It, you know, we don't live in a peaceful world. We haven't historically. The Algerians rose up against the French brutality and extermination of Algerians. It wasn't nice. It was bloody. You know, every uprising, the Mau Mau's against the British, the Yemenis against the British. Yeah, it's not going to happen kind of, it's not going to happen organically or nicely when you're facing a colonialist predatory power that is fed by the entire cartel of predatory colonialist powers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is. I was thinking of, you know, Yemen and the Uyghurs and we still have all these problems going on right today. Mm. Uh, and 
we all imagine that we've somehow evolved as a, as a species. Uh, and, and you see the same things happening for the most ridiculous reasons um, that a six-year-old would seem to be able to have more sense in these things. Just violence never begets peace. You know, it, it, I, it well, uh, I tend to look at it like a, like a school bully. Yeah. When does the school bully stop bullying when someone breaks his nose? Yeah. 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 Right. Sure. Violence doesn't beget peace, but sometimes if, if you're facing, as I said, this oppressive force, there is a need to react violently against violence in order to bring that bully to the negotiation table. Yeah, I, I, I would see the analog in, in kind of nature is um, animals, they, they show their side if they're going to be attacked, they get make mm. themselves bigger, they show their teeth, and then the other predator, well, maybe I won't bother. So, no, no violence yeah. is being done. But it's to show that they're not weak. And, and so it's like when you have Gaza, where there's no escape, there's no ledge to fall back on. It, that's what's bad. I mean, it's, it's, well, I suppose it happens. It's human history. We go in and conquer other lands and we have to, we have to, in order to justify it to ourselves, we have to describe the people who are there as non-people. And the more we do it, the more we do it and the more we demean them, the more animal-like they become and the more justified we become in our actions. So there's some weird psychological thing on mass that goes on in humans, like a feeding frenzy. Um, I would what I would counter that with slightly is from my time in Gaza. Um, they are actually the most civilized, hospitable, intelligent, resourceful, resilient people I've ever met. And even when, um, for example, when Hamid Abu Daga was killed, the 13-year-old boy and his family were in mourning, I spoke to the father and I asked him if he felt any, or what did he feel? Did he feel anger? Did he want to take revenge? He said to me, you know, I just don't understand. I don't understand. Didn't this man who's flying the plane have children? How can he just shoot a child? For most Palestinians in Gaza, it's a total incomprehension. They don't understand this level of inhumanity against them. They don't understand it. And they try their best. They, 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 I mean, they, as I said, they are so resourceful. They are so clever how they manage in the situation they have, building gardens on top of roofs, uh, developing, I know we're kind of against GMO, but developing crops that can produce more yield because all of their farmland is getting destroyed and contaminated by uranium, by white phosphorus, by all manner of, of chemicals that you know Israel introduces into the environment there. 
so uh, you know i i i would for me what astounded me in gaza was how these people have maintained their dignity and their humanity despite what is being done to them so i don't think it always works that when a community is dehumanized it becomes non-human i think sometimes what comes out of this and i've seen it in syria also in some of the most terrible conditions um suffering some of the worst atrocities here they become more human that core of humanity grows stronger because that's all they have left yeah i i absolutely i i get that um i suppose it's in the eyes of those who are doing the injustice they may mm -hmm. feel that they are if they can treat them as badly as they are they must be lesser than we are I mean, oh, for sure. yeah. and, and you're right, because I try to imagine and what what's it like to be a Palestinian? What's it like to be an Israeli, you know, citizen, a Jew living in Israel? All these people, what you know, I try to put myself because I'm I'm, a, I'm thousands of miles away. All my information comes through either books or podcasts or something like that. So I'm trying to understand it, but I also get a feel for things. And it's just to, <clears throat> just innocent people who have nothing to do with terrorist groups, uh, just want to get along with their life, but they're being thrown into the mill and they have to be punished. Not just them, but their, their, but their, whole, their whole family, their lineage, their history. Uh, and, and you're right that what else have they got except their own, their own spirit and they become yeah, more more human. It's like it's like the phoenix rising, uh, yeah. and I, I I I it's hard for me to understand how well you know Palestinians seem to. They're such nice people, uh, in 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 spite of what's going on. Uh, you know, having said that, I don't condone anything that goes what's going on there. Uh, the violence from Hamas and, you know, but people get in these situations where, uh, you know, if you put the pressure on the pressure cooker and there's no valve, it's going to explode. I mean, so what we have here is a, is a pressure cooker and it's being stoked and people are surprised when steam starts coming out and it's about, it, it explodes. That's the thing. It's, it's just, there's no size. There's no, here we are in, in the West talking about hate speech laws, and here we see hate being enacted on a daily basis, and we're edging it on. I, I don't know what the answer is. I it makes makes me sick. Um, but yeah, I'll back to you, Vanessa. I don't uh, just a comment I had to say because you you're, you were talking about the Holocaust, and I mean it's impossible to know what's really true from the way they've changed history. But I've seen a yeah. lot of reporting recently where they're showing in the 1900s early well before world war ii six million jews six million jews six million jews is this like did that really happen i mean there's some people even saying that their numbers didn't drop obviously there was people in concentration camps we know that we know that people have gone through it but if we look at even in israel like of what happened with the poison dart they were like the test species so it's not as if they're protecting them. It's like this is a big joke and they're just getting, they're killing both. 
uh, who is killing those. As in, like, both the Israelis are, are getting killed as well. And it's just, it's it, like, the whole situation is so weird because even, like, prior to what's happening now, when they were doing the, like, the, the, the poison dart, like, they were getting three and four doses of it. I, I believe it's like 90% of the population there were jabbed up to the hilt and they had the worst cases of deaths. So it's not as if they're protecting their own. It's like, you know, yeah. they've got these evil, like, if you look at the, like, you know, Carol is talking about how can people do this? It's like, I think they're brought in, they're trained that they don't have empathy because how can a soldier kill a child? How can anyone do this? And and I, even if we look at kind of say what's going on at the moment with Ireland, England, and I present, assume the rest of Europe, where they're bringing in all these military men, everybody's freaking out. Mm. If they brought in the children and the women that are being destroyed, not one person would actually stop that. They would actually open their doors like the Polish opened their doors to the Ukrainians. But everything is just <laughs> yin and yang is totally opposite to what should be happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I think... Um... <sighs> The same governments that, that are basically behind, let's say, um, well, I don't even think governments are in control in the West at all. I mean, if we look at the, the, the caliber of leadership we now have in the West, I mean, it's just horrifyingly bad, right? So I assume that governments have not been in control um, in the West for some time. Um, and if, if we look at how, for example, instead of remaining neutral, let's take the British government, for example, right? Instead of remaining neutral and calling for a peaceful solution and calling for negotiations and a peace summit here, there, or wherever, what are they doing? Absolutely pledging allegiance to the, the most powerful side in the conflict, in the region, that has consistently been empowered by the West to wage war against regional um, targets of the West, whether it's Syria, Iraq, Libya, it doesn't matter, right? So in other words, they're not looking for peace and they don't actually care if Israelis get killed. <laughs> they don't care if Palestinians get exterminated. People talk about the gas off the Gaza coast and the real estate and all of these. But to me, it's just about it's almost coming back to the extermination of the proletariat, the extermination of the useless people, the people that for them don't provide any benefit. So civilian Israelis, Palestinians, Syrians, <laughs> Lebanese. They don't, they're irrelevant. All they care about, for example, in the Middle East is resources. And of course, what has been happening recently um, with Russia and China and BRICS and the Belt and Road Initiative and the normalization with Syria, with Saudi Arabia, peace between Saudi Arabia and Iran brokered by China, they're, they're kind of seeing all of the commodities slipping out of their grasp. And what's their solution? War in Ukraine to destabilize Russia. And now I believe war in the Middle East to destabilize the whole region. 
you know because they're only interested in in the resources that they're not interested in people in infrastructure syria can be laid barren as long as they can take the oil and the agriculture and the water and whatever else they need from here the same in yemen the same in palestine although i mean palestine's a tiny country but again it's strategically placed I mean, like with America, so-called, getting involved, and the UK. I mean, how many countries have America invaded and nobody says that? Like, I'm Irish. I don't want the English having the Northern Ireland. I'm assuming <laughs> the Argentinians don't want the British having the Falklands. Spain doesn't want them having Gibraltar. And I don't know where else in the world that other countries are controlling. So there's not one mm. of them can actually point and, and try to pretend that they, they're the good boys. They're all guilty of this. And as I said, you know, there's no compassion from them. Well, there is compassion towards the alleged Israeli victims, and I will continue to say alleged, because even um, the settlers that were allegedly killed by Hamas, where are the bodies, where are the funerals, where are the photographs, where are the names, where are the families? We're talking Zionist media here. They're not going to miss out on presenting you with the images that will shock you further and vilify Hamas further. That's their thing. Media is their thing. Propaganda is their thing. So where are they? And why are the hostages now taken <clears throat> by Hamas talking about being fired upon by the IDF? And actually talking about how well Hamas took care of them. The two elderly ladies that were released today said they couldn't fault how Hamas took care of them. They were given um, female carers. They were given everything that they needed as a woman and in a very difficult circumstances. <clears throat> and they were released on health grounds. Israel didn't want them back, by the way. It took five days of persuasion by Egypt for Hamas to be able to release them back to the IDF. They didn't want them. So they don't care. Israel doesn't care if it kills its own hostages. It's already done it, according to the hostages themselves, the ones that have been released. You know, I was, I was just thinking it's like just two, 2.4 million Palestinians <laughs> in that small area. And I was thinking of all these global conflicts. And I know the elite, those in power, they're aware of the Earth's population is increasing. It's over 8 billion now. And so in their minds, this will go exponential and they need to call the population. So in the mindset, and maybe this is something that will possibly go forward is that human life becomes less important. Maybe this kind of thinking will dribble down. 2 million people is, is nothing compared to 8 billion. You know, this kind of, cold scientific sort of thinking um in the west yes in in the west yes but if, if you listen whatever you think about china or russia if you listen to the language from xi jinping or from putin it's completely different to the west and i remember an article that a journalist friend of mine andre Plecek, who died in weird circumstances in turkey funnily enough um, a few years ago, he wrote an article about Russia 
And he said the difference between Russia and the West is that Russia understands that it needs humanity to survive, to thrive. And Xi Jinping, China has a very similar attitude. Yes, it's quite mercenary in furthering its economic gains, its trade gains and so on, but it understands it needs the people of that country on side to thrive for its benefit. I'm not saying that, you know, they're these kind of altruistic nations, completely white saviors, no. But they have a more pragmatic view about sustaining humanity. Because how are they going to run all of all of these resource infrastructures without the workforce? How are they going to establish centers in these countries without the workforce, etc.? It's it's a very pragmatic real politic view, but it's more beneficial to those nations than the decades of imperialism that they've suffered. Well, Syria for you... 75 years has been uh, interfered with since its independence from the French mandate in 1946. It's had consistent CIA MI6 operations to regime change, uh, to to balkanize, etc, etc, to destabilize, to, to divorce from Russia, because, you know, the big communist threat, as it was seen before, when it was the Soviet Union, and even now, that's the thorn in the side of the West, is, is Syria's relations with China and Russia. It can't stand it. Because that means that Russia and China are going to get their hands on the Belt and Road Initiative, the major commodity block, etc., not the West. Because the West has bled these countries dry for decades, if not centuries, in the case of, of the UK, for example. I mean, America is a relatively young country, but it's, it's also one of the most aggressive and violent in history. Well, it seems to be it seems to be that, you know, China and Russia are now closer than they have been uh, yeah. due to the latest uh, installation in the White House. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so is there is there a bigger plan at work? Um, and, and I was also thinking is um, to replace the workforce. Maybe there's a mindset, this hope in, in technology this technocratic yeah. ideology where robots will are transhumanists will replace we're getting off probably going off subject here a bit <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know i just can't get my head around why all these problems exist in this age when there's so much so many wise people and and you know how human nature uh, ticks and works and operates and then we we're, we seem to be dealing with this naivety of how solutions should come about. Um, mm. So I, I there's got to be a bigger plan. There's got to be something else going on. Uh, but that doesn't help because that, that could even be worse. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, for me, I suppose um, maybe rather simplistically i believe in agency so i believe if if a people or a nation is being oppressed like south africa for example previously and you know the rising up by the anc it was not peaceful <laughs> it was violent and and you know it it was condemned nelson mandela was condemned 
um, Nat Turner was condemned. Yasser Arafat was condemned and then given a Nobel Peace Prize. There was a great little clip by Shahid uh, Bolsen that I recommend people follow him on Twitter. He does some great little speeches to camera, a great philosopher and historian. And he made the point, he said, you're all condemning Hamas. But he said, why don't you wait? Because you all condemned and he listed all these other people. And then he said, you gave them Nobel Peace Prizes and you gave them awards and you labeled them you know, uh, peace people, people of peace. So he said, why don't you just wait? Wait. <laughs> and he's, I, I believe he's correct. You know, don't rush to condemn when those people have agency, even under international law, to do what they're doing. They have the right to do what they're doing. Can you please mention the name again, Vanessa, the one in Twitter? Uh, Shahid, S-H-A-H-I-D. Shahid. B-O-L-S-E-N. Uh, and he's on... In Twitter, you said. Definitely. On Twitter, great. Of, um, great speeches, actually. Mm -hmm. and, and particularly, he's, he's, he's from the region. Oh, okay. And so he fully Farah, understands imperialism. And maybe we could end, uh, Vanessa, by you please uh, describing describe to us, please, what's the sentiment or what's the feeling of the neighboring nations around? Mm. You, know, you know, please. <laughs> and, well, you uh, know, it's extraordinary. I've never seen when when President Assad um, went to the Arab League summit. I spoke then about the re-emergence of pan-Arabism, the unification of Arab countries. And what you're seeing now is quite extraordinary, the demonstrations in Latin America, in all the global South, right? Not only in, in Arab countries, even in the UK and in France, even though those protests have been uh, effectively banned and you're liable to prosecution for even going to them, more than 150,000 on the streets of, of London, Paris, Barcelona. I mean, I, I've never seen outpouring like this. It's, for me, it's kind of, um, even Yemen, poor, starving, besieged Yemen. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands. And they fired cruise missiles at Israel. So, you know, reportedly that were intercepted by a U.S. warship off the coast of Yemen. So what you're seeing is the unification of all that resistance access behind or in solidarity with Palestine and with what's happening now. And you're seeing Hezbollah, of course, waging a very reserved conflict in the north, but prepared to escalate if Israel escalates. So if Israel carries out the ground invasion, for example, then we're going to see a, a, a greater degree of escalation. And I think for that reason, they won't. I have a feeling they're going to try something else. There was, uh, actually, I should put this out because it is a very high risk for me. Um, uh, what's his name? The Israeli president, Herzog, put out this ridiculous report that... Um, 
on the 7th of October, Hamas dropped leaflets showing how to make chemical weapons, right? So, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but this is just like finding the passports and, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and then suddenly there was an alleged former um, or son of uh, a Hamas leader who's basically betrayed uh, the Hamas movement. He's been working for Shin Bet, uh, one of the Israeli intelligence agencies from uh, 97 until 2007. And he basically said, we should gas every, like the people in Gaza. We should gas the tunnels. We should put gas in the tunnels and eliminate um, the resistance. Now, in my mind, of course, I started to think, okay, I've seen all this before in Syria. So what they're now saying, they're saying Hamas has chemical weapons, right? I'm simplifying it because that's what Western media does. Suddenly there's a gas attack against civilians in Gaza and it's all Hamas fault. They're laying the ground. They're even bringing in the same chemical weapon experts like Hamish to Bretton Gordon, who was instrumental in the propaganda in Syria of use of chemical weapons by the Syrian government. So it's all the same team suddenly seems to be rallying around this narrative. So immediately my alarm bells go off because Israel is never going to carry out a ground invasion because it's suicide for them. Soldiers that have been traditionally beating up kids on the street that are carrying stones are not trained to enter on the ground into urban warfare where the resistance factions have the advantage. And they're deep underground. So what's the easier way to exterminate or to force those civilians to leave the enclave? There's other methods and chemical weapons has to be one of them. It has to be considered because ultimately the West used chemical weapons against Syrian civilians to blame the Syrian government. Yes. I will put that out there because it's, it's, highly possible that they will carry out some kind of operation like this to achieve their goals without the ground invasion. Thanks a lot again, Vanessa. There's so much to, <laughs> to understand. There's so much to, to really to understand, to comprehend with all our whole being. So it's, that's, as I said, I, I like the Twitter when he said, wait, wait, right. Because we could be so emotional about some things. And I, I do understand the strategy on the underground, just as in the Philippines, we have so many mountains. So if mm -hmm. the Green Beret before came to the Philippines, they can't, they can't survive and win in the mountains because that's mm -hmm. where the Philippine national rebels survive. So they won't go there so you know yeah. it's all it's all uh, a game and so um to all of us we have to be sure that we know how the game is played so that we know what's our role in the game because no matter what we may think we're not in the game but if we mm -hmm. repeat certain things that we're not very sure of then we're continue to lit the fire and from a far distance, yeah. we're contributing to that. 
And again, yeah. sometimes we look too far from the war, but in our village, in our community, in our township, boroughs, nations, the war is right there. So hello, take care of <laughs> looking to that as well. Okay, so Vanessa, just whatever last words you want to still impart and where they could um, reach out to you if you're available or anything <laughs> what, what can we do to help what in you know to to prove to help maybe instill or spark some peace and maybe spark some godly source consciousness in each of us i think um the main point always for me because it's what as you said releases this kind of um wave of energy that is counter to what we want to achieve is to stop this rush to judgment you know and to um remember that an oppressed people has agency and we have to respect that agency we don't necessarily have to agree with it but we shouldn't go down that imperialist mindset which is where we know better and so I think sometimes if we support, for example, the Palestinian cause, we have to say, okay, it's their cause. You know, we've messed with it for 75 years and what have we achieved? We've achieved greater loss of territory, greater loss of life, greater loss of uh, human rights and dignity. So it's not our turn now, it's their turn. And wait, as Shahid Balsan says, just wait. I love this. It's it's so true. It's so simple. I hope you can find the little clip. It, it is on his Twitter feed quite many, but it's just a wonderful message. He just basically, there's no animosity. There's no judgment. He just says, just wait, wait, you know, and I think sometimes we, we feel the need, even as analysts and journalists to kind of rush to the conclusion, but sometimes you can't. You know, sometimes you do literally have to wait and unravel all of the loose ends until you reach a conclusion that sits, that feels right with what you know and what you believe and, and what you hope for, for in the future. So wait. <laughs> and as uh, the title of Vanessa's, uh, one of Vanessa's Substack, you're still in Substack, right? And it says, yeah, despite yeah. what you think, Palestinians are not celebrating death. So, you know, mm -hmm. we don't, okay? Yeah. And uh, you're still in Patreon.com? Yeah, I'm in Patreon, Substack. I still have YouTube, although I'm expecting it to kind of get pulled any minute. Uh, Telegram is my main kind of rolling um, news feed, I guess. So please uh, support Vanessa at uh, the you know in whatever way or form, and uh, I, we thank you also. I always thank my partners, <laughs> my partners in good deeds. Forget <laughs> uh, Roy also do follow, and we are our own sponsors. Okay, so <laughs> we don't have any backing or anything. And uh, for also for Carl, Carl has a book, uh, Nature's Twist, and he. He also 
does does his podcast. But anyway, you know, follow him as well. Okay, and I yeah. you can reach me also at quantumnurse.com and I do have a lot of resource uh, links that I will put in the post notes because as 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 I said, we are our own sponsors, <laughs> and you can help us in many way or form. Just go into those links and do share, like, subscribe, and keep yourself in alignment with uh, the source, with God, with Allah, and however you want to address that. And thank you, Vanessa, so much. And as I said, we worry about little things, but you are there (laughs) fighting the good fight. And thank you. And take care, everyone. Thank you. It's it's always really nice to chat with you all. Carl, nice to meet you. I don't think I'd spoken with you before, and it was a real pleasure. Likewise. Thank you. Uh, And Grace, thank you so much for inviting me on again. Take care. Thank you, Vanessa. Bye.